Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. Amen. All right. Somebody clap. Don't make me do it. <laughs> it's, it's purely for the fact that that's that awkward moment and you need some kind of noise, you know. Uh, am I the only one that, like, when I first came to Christ, I was 19 years old, it took me a little while for certain things to, um, to become real to me. Like, I remember, uh, I remember one of the things I heard, like, early on was, you know, that morning devotions would become, like, the, 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 the most looked forward to time of the day. And I loved the word. I always did, you know, but for some reason, the morning devotions was, like, work at the beginning. Like, I wasn't a morning person at that time, and I would read, like, two chapters and nothing would go in. And I was like, I'm going to wait for that to happen. And it happened. Eventually, that time came. And I remember another time, like, I heard in a group Bible study or something like that, someone was talking about, like, they couldn't wait until uh, in heaven where we just worship endlessly. And everybody's like, yeah, me too. I was like, yeah, I can't wait. But inside, honestly, I was like, I don't know. I, I kind of like getting to the Bible study. You know what I mean? Like, I like the worship, but I got there. Man, it, sometimes the praise is so amazing, isn't it? Just to be in his presence and just to think about what that's going to be like. I mean, like when Jesus said that the rocks would cry out, right? If these would hold their peace, like that's like when you're in his kingdom, in his presence, like that's what's inside. It's awesome. So thank you, worship team. That was just really, 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 really refreshing. So clap for the worship team, please. Um, We are in the book of Acts tonight, chapter 13. If you have your Bible, you can open to Acts chapter 13. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 20 a little bit later on, and also 1 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you're a person like me that likes to see it on the page and uh, where it is on the page, then you can um, be ready to go to those places. If you need a Bible, just get the attention of one of the ushers, and they'll pass one off to you. And if you're a person that absorbs it on the screen, then just read it on the screen. But uh, um, let's pray, and then... Let's get into it. I want to pray that I'm going to read the first two verses of chapter 13. That is uh, um, our text in Acts tonight, and then um, we'll go from there. Why don't we read it first? Acts chapter 13, verse 1. It says this. It says, Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers, as Barnabas, we saw him last week, and Simeon, that was called Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene, and Manaen, which had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and then lastly, and Saul, which, uh, whose name by the end of the chapter will be Paul, same man. And it says that as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Ghost said, separate me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work whereunto I have called them. I, I find that very fascinating just to think about that. It says that the Holy Ghost said, and I highly doubt that it was like a voice that just entered into the room and into their physical ears. I, don't, I, I wish I could be there and say, like, how did that happen? But it probably was uh, a word that, you know, a thought that came in, an inspiration that came into someone's mind that was there, uh, and they spoke it. And then someone else said, I was thinking the exact same thing at that moment that came uh, to me as well, or um, maybe who knows how it happened but uh, fascinating to to read it. It says that the Holy Spirit said, separate now unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work whereunto, and here it is, I have called them. Let's pray. Father, we 
lay our lives open before you tonight, Father, and we uh, want your word to be written upon us, that our minds would be completely renewed, that our lives would be completely surrendered, and that our story would be written according to your will. And so, Father, I pray that even now you would uh, soften us, that you would prepare us, that you would cause us to hear you tonight, Lord, in these things, and we thank you that you want to speak and that you will speak. So speak, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as a quick reminder, we are in the middle of a series that we're calling uh, Devoted, uh, the study of the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. And um, our outline for it really is the seven C's of the devoted life, the letter C. And uh, what we've seen is that every life that is devoted to God will follow uh, this pathway in some form. And we have looked at, first of all, the, uh, con- or the context, which is everything that happens in your life that leads up to the time that you meet Jesus, how God is uh, infinitely involved, intricately involved in the things that are happening in your life, even before you know God, uh, but it's your context is what's setting you up for the time when you meet him. And then the second C is the conversion. That's when Jesus reveals himself, your eyes are opened, you're born again, you say yes to God, and salvation happens. The Holy Spirit comes in, the lights turn on, the word of God comes to life, and you're converted. There is a transformation on the inside. Jesus moves in. It's a con. It's a conversion. And then from there, he begins a work in us. Like that verse in Philippians where it says that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus. He begins a work and he begins cultivating. And that, that language is all over the Bible in terms of how God works in a life. Jesus loved the illustration of seeds and trees and plants because that's what God does. He, he talks about our heart as being the soil and God uh, working it over and removing rocks and planting a vineyard and a garden and making us something brand new. And he cultivates the life of Christ in us. He cultivates a calling in us. He cultivates uh, eternity in our hearts. And so there's a cultivation that happens And then that cultivation will eventually unfold into a calling. And that's the fourth C. And that's really, we're right on the cusp. So tonight, if you could picture yourself kind of in that uh, ship or that vessel, that boat, and we're traveling through the seven seas, we are coming to the end of the cultivation sea in the life of Paul. And we are on the border, the cusp of the calling sea. In fact, we cross into it in verse 2 of chapter 13, where now the Holy Spirit speaks and says, separate unto me, Saul and Barnabas, for the work whereunto I have called them into. And so uh, tonight I want to, um, in a sense, I, wanna, I don't want to jump right into it. I want to encapsulate the cultivation and the transition into the calling and kind of look at what has happened in Paul over these years now from the time that he was saved until the time now that he is sent or called out by God. There's a verse in Romans chapter 1 that I've always felt to be one of the most beautiful uh, descriptions uh, of God and and his, uh, the way he's revealed in his creation. It's Romans chapter 1 verse 20. And, and it says in that verse, Romans 1 uh, verse 20, it says, For the invisible things of, of him from the be- creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. Uh, and, and then, of course, he says, so that they are without excuse. You know, um, but, but I love that description, how 
Paul, who wrote Romans, says to those group of people, he says that even if you don't have a Bible, and even if you've never had a preacher, that there is enough evidence just in creation itself for you to come to the conclusion that there is a singular God that made all of it and that everything is intricately involved in, in what he has made and it all testifies of his glory and of his greatness. And that word is used all throughout the Old Testament in the Psalms and in the New Testament to describe God, the word great or greatness. And it just means like vast or expansive, but really it means infinite when you're talking about it in the context of God, because his greatness is just infinite. It never ends. It just keeps going and going and going. And, and it is revealed in creation. And you just think about it, you know, look at just one little part of it, like, like flying insects, right? You could take two of them, the fly and the bee, and they're both from a distance, they kind of look the same. But the closer you look, you see how incredibly different they are. They eat completely different things. And they produce completely different things. They are so vastly different, and yet they're, from a distance, so very similar. And, and you think, well, like, God, why didn't you just make one? Like, why did you have to make, like, thousands of insects? You think about trees. And again, from, from an airplane or from a distance, you see a forest, and it just looks like they're all the same. But then you get in there and you see that there's one tree and it's a fruit producing tree and it produces medicine and it has so many valuable uses to the human. And then there's another tree that is, is completely poisonous. That if a human, sometimes if you even touch it, it causes damage to your body or, or some kind of immune reaction. If you eat from it, you're probably going to die, you know? And yet these things can look the same, but in the greatness of God, he just shows that there's just no limit to what he does. And then you think about it in the context of just humankind. And you take two human beings, and, and, it, and it even is more so with humans because we are pointed out by God that we're made in his image, that there's a distinction between people and the rest of creation. And you just look at two humans, and you see the vast difference between two humans, between all humans. You, know, you multiply it by the expanse of every person that's ever been made. And you see that God is just infinite because there's no two that are exactly the same. We look the same from the surface, but then you get on the inside and you begin to see that it's deep and that it's vast, it's expansive. And that in the image of God, God made humankind to do incredible things where you could take one person who has this ability and you don't even really kind of know where it came from, but in their mind, they can just hear a symphony, and then they can produce it and, and make it known and manifested and bring that out like a Beethoven or a Mozart or, you know, someone today, you know, and, and, and you look at that and you just say, how do they do that? What, what's inside of them? And then you could have another human that looks the same on the surface, but in their mind, they can imagine something like the internet and God gives them the ability to manifest it. And it comes to pass or like a smartphone. And, and, and you look at these amazing things that humankind has been able to do. And the common denominator in all of it, whether it's the insects or the trees or humans, is God. Because he's the one that made it all. And it speaks of his greatness. Now, because of the greatness of God, everything that God makes has greatness in it. That's just logically 
inseparable. You can't separate the greatness of God from what's in it, the greatness that's in what he made. It's impossible not to, but especially when it comes to humankind, is that true? Because the Bible says we are made in the image of God. That means this, listen to me, that God has tucked greatness into every human being. Because we're made in his image, and it's impossible for a great God not to make something that is great if it reflects his image. Now, in communities of faith, Christianity, we usually use the word calling. We say that someone has a calling from God, that God has placed something inside of them. There is a calling in there. And you, you know, hear people that are great, they have greatness within them, and they talk about what they do or what they've done, and they'll use that kind of language. They will say, it's, it's, it's more than just a talent, it's more than just a, a skill that I've obtained, it's almost like there's a deep sense of calling. There's a drive that's deep within me, and I almost can't not do what I do. It's deeper than just a desire, there's a calling within me, it's deep within me. Now, everyone has something from God, a calling that he's placed inside of them. But not everyone discovers it, accesses it, realizes it, or fulfills it. And some people are frustrated because they know intuitively that there's something inside of them, but they can't find it or they can't define it or they can't figure it out, but they know somehow that it's in there. And then you're taunted by the fact that there are other human beings that have found it, that do know it, that are walking in it, and you see it and you say, why them and not me? And sometimes you can even feel like there are some people that are special and there are other people that are just common. There are some people that are gifted and there are some people that are just generic. And that, you know, I wish I could have. It would be nice if, but I'm just the mass of the generic humanity. I wish I could be one of those. There's nothing extraordinary about me. Okay, now here's the reason why we're studying the life and the ministry of the Apostle Paul. It is not academic so that we can say, okay, give me the test and I'll be able to tell you things about Paul. The reason why we're studying Paul is because the Apostle Paul was a truly great man and the Bible holds his life up before us to exemplify the greatness that's extracted from a common human being, okay? His greatness is an example for us. And what I want you to understand right here at the onset, because probably there are a few people that affected humanity and the world as much as the Apostle Paul, is that his greatness and what became of his life is not about or not as much about what he did as much as it was about who he was. Because what he did was an outflow of who he was. It was what was in him that caused what came out of him to manifest. That was the byproduct. Now, what was Paul? Paul was a spiritual leader. He was an apostle, one that was sent with a message and a mission to establish the church in its foundation and in its, unto its maturity. He was also a prophet. He gave forth the word of God and he 
Through him was revealed truths of God that previously were there, but they were covered up. He manifested them. He was a prophet. He was also a pastor, one who planted and then tended churches and people. And he was also an evangelist, one that heralded the message of the gospel and brought people to a saving knowledge of Jesus. He was a spiritual leader. But not every great person is a spiritual leader. And not every manifestation of God's greatness that's been tucked inside of a person makes them a spiritual leader. We're all different. God's people are all different. We look at the great men and women of the Bible, and we see that Abraham was not a spiritual leader per se. He was a businessman, and he was a great businessman. When you study his life, you realize that in the way that he would uh, create things, the way that he would interact with other people, negotiations that took place. He was a gifted, great businessman. We read of Joseph, the grandson, our great-grandson of Abraham. And what we see concerning Joseph is that he was a great administrator. The greatness that was in him, God brought him up to administrate unto the saving of the world in Egypt in his day. We look at Moses, and Moses was a great leader. He led a whole nation, and he was a spiritual leader and a spiritual father, and he was a political leader. He was an amazing leader. His greatness was his leadership. Joshua was a great warrior. He led the battles of the Lord. He secured the borders of the promised land. His greatness was manifested in his military ability. We read of Deborah in the time of the judges, the period of the judges. And Deborah was a great visionary. And she was a great influencer. And she had the ability to move people and make things happen through what was in her, what God had placed in her. We read of David, another great man. David was a great king and a great warrior and a great musician and a prophet. Like there was greatness that came out of him that God had placed in him. We read of Solomon, who was a great counselor. He read the proverb, or he wrote the Proverbs, and the things that he would say, and the counsel that would come from him, the wisdom that was inside of him. And what we see as we study the greatness that God has placed in people is that it's vastly different. It's almost indefinable. It's almost as unique as the individual. No two people are exactly the same but the common denominator is that a great God made us all and a great God who can only make great things has placed greatness inside every one of the people that he's made and his desire and will is that that greatness be accessed, that it be realized and that it be fully achieved. And that's true for every human being. There is no common overlooked marginalized average person. God has placed something great in you and his will for you is to uncover it and to use it and to anoint it and make that your gift to humanity for the ages and ages to come. That's what he does. Now, Paul became great because there was greatness from God that was placed in him and it was accessed, then it was cultivated. That's what's going on in his life up to this time, and it will continue. There are, however, though we are all a different, there are some common characteristics that are evident in the life of all of those that become great. The greatness is different, 
But there are some things that you can look at and you can say, this is very similar. There are some things in the life of all of those that become great for God that are the same. And before we leave the cultivation of Paul and then get into the calling and what will come after it, I want to share with you some things that we see in Paul, and not only in Paul, but in all of those whom God extracts greatness from that are present in every life. So there's four of them. If you're taking notes, you can write them down as we go through. If I remember to say number two, number three, and number four, you'll have to listen. But I'll at least give you number one, is that the first common thing that is in all those that will achieve true greatness is that there is surrender. There is surrender, okay? Now, we left off in our study last week with a phrase that Jesus used no less than five times while he was on the earth. He said that if you seek to save your life or find your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake and for the gospel, for the kingdom, you will find it. Okay, he said that five times, that if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. And he's giving us a clue there of what it takes, what's involved in accessing or discovering what God has placed in you, the greatness that's in you, is that it will not happen apart from relationship with himself. He uses those words, for my sake. He says, if you lose your life for my sake, what does that mean? His sake is his will. His sake is his plan. That when you surrender what you want your life to look like, And you say, God, you take my life and do with it what you designed it to be when you formed me in the womb and thought of me before the foundation of the world. And God, you extract from me what you've put in me. It's there that greatness can begin. It's in the place of surrender because it takes God to uncover it and draw it out. And thus, apart from Jesus, those things can never be fully realized. My daughter, I had my one, my, okay, it was Sarah. I try to keep my kids anonymous, but it would be impossible, you know. And she's a senior in high school, and um, she works with me occasionally. And uh, earlier this week, we had a, a day set where we would work together. It was just the two of us. And uh, consequences or circumstances didn't allow that to go forward. And so uh, the day ended before it began. And so we were driving back in separate cars from Kingston, and I realized that the vehicle that she had didn't have an easy pass in it. Um, so I said, I called her and I said, Hey, do you have any cash? There's no easy pass. She says, Oh no. I said, okay, pull off, um, at the next diner and I'll buy you a coffee and I'll give you a few bucks so you can get through the toll. And so, um, we sat in the diner and we had coffee and, um, and so we were just chatting and I said, so Sarah, you know, what's next? Like, what are you going to do? You're a senior in high school and you know, uh, I know there's certain things and, and she just kind of be like, you know, she's like every, every 17, 18 year old in their life. Like, I have no idea what I want to do. And I said, well, you know, I know that you're, you're into health, right? And she said, yeah, you know, she's like, no, I've thought about that. Like health, wellness, naturopathic, uh, um, you know, kind of things, chiropractic, possibly, you know, down, down that road. And I said, okay, good. I said, you know, are you, do you, are you thinking about school? And she's like, well, she's like, the, the avenue that I want to go, it doesn't really require school. I don't know if that's the right thing to do. And so, you know, I, I, I said, have you talked to, and I, I gave a name. I said, there, there's a guy who is a friend of ours, a local guy who does the kind of things that she's interested in, and he is just an absolute genius. 
at what he does. I mean, you talk about greatness and you talk about a, a calling. This friend of ours that we know, there is no disputing that God has put in him what he is doing. He is so incredibly passionate and gifted at what he does in the natural health world. He's like an encyclopedia of knowledge and you just bring up and, and, and he'll just explode and never stop and he lights up and he's like on fire. It's like there's something in him that's from God. And so I said, did you talk to this guy? And she, she rolled her eyes and she said, yeah. And I said, and? And she said, well, he just told me about his dead mother. You know, and I knew, I, I knew what she was saying, that like what happened is his, his mom got into a health situation and she was, mis, she was uh, maltreated, you know, by, by doctors. And she died not because of the condition that she had, but because of the treatment that she received. And, 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 and so what happened in his life is that at that moment, like he began to learn. A fire was lit up inside of him. What was in him from God was accessed in that moment when that circumstance took place. And so I looked at my daughter across the table and I said, he answered your question exactly. Because she was asking, well, what should I do? What should I study? What books should I read? And he talked about his dead mother and she said, he didn't answer my question. I said, yes, he did. He answered your question perfectly because what he is telling you is that you need to find your why, okay? Because something happened in his life that uncovered what he was good at, what he was passionate about, and what made him angry. And it's the plea intersection where what makes you angry and what you love and what you're good at, come, that's the door that will open and become the greatness that's inside of you, at least in part. And he was telling you to find your why, because when you find your why, you'll get what you need. You'll find the books, you'll find the resources, you'll learn what you have to learn, and nothing will be able to quench it because it's something that's deep inside of you. But it's, it's at a place of surrender that God brings that to be in your life, and it can't happen any other way. The apostle Paul was steeped in Jewish religion. He was deceived by what he thought was the truth. He was blindly walking in what he thought was the light. And when he met Jesus, what was really going on inside of his soul that was so absolutely different from what it was supposed to be doing was clearly manifested. And the truth and the grace of Jesus came into his heart and into his life, and it set him free. And it tells us in Acts 9 that something like scales fell from his eyes, and he was able to see clearly through the shadows and angles and smoke screens of everything that had been true in his life to what actually is true. And something triggered inside of him. He became angry at the deception. He became in love with the truth, and he knew what he was good at, and it was the beginning of what would be cultivated into his calling and ultimately his greatness. It starts in the place of surrender. That's where it is. Now, that's only the beginning. Saul said at that time, his words that came out of his mouth 
were, Lord, what do you want me to do? Do you know what that is? That's surrender. He said, Jesus, I give you my life. And at that moment, it began. That's where it begins. It's when you surrender all to what God wants for your life in it. Now, it is true that there are some people that find their calling apart from God. They find a a shadow of what they were made for, but they do it apart from God. And it's always a tragic ending because it doesn't have God's intention, nor does it have God's heart, and nor does it ultimately serve God's purposes. And you see those people, they self-destruct in some way, and it's a tragic thing. Well, there's another thing that's common amongst those that become great, and that is that there is in their life, there is a large degree of sacrifice. That's the second S word. Did you know that, that greatness is not something that is awarded? It is something that's actually achieved? Now, I know when I say that, you know, you know someone in here inside, you're going like, ah, oh, I know, it's, we're saved by grace, we're kept through grace, he works in me, willing to do. And, and yes, I understand, I know that, that it is all God in the end that gets the glory. But just because you exist does not mean you are going to become great. There is a walk, there is a path, there is a discipline that happens in your life. And when there is a discipline of pursuit in the thing that God has placed inside of you, that is where cultivation turns into greatness. Okay. God gives capacity. He gives opportunity. He gives resources and he will give advantages. He will do all of those things, but he does not do the work. That is something that is on you. There is no great surgeon that opened up a body at one point and the Holy Ghost came upon him and he knew how to cut out a tumor. Are you with me? There is no musician that sat down in front of five lines and composed a symphony. Okay, there is no great preacher or prophet or theologian that just opened up their mouth and the words of God just came out. There was study and there was grit and there was sacrifice and there was discipline and every great person You will look at the trail that's behind them and you will see sacrifice. You will see discipline. It's hard for us. It's hard for us to think about the humanity of Jesus, to see Jesus as the son of man. He's the son of man and he's the son of God. He is fully God. And yet when he was on earth, he was also fully man. And he called himself the son of man more than any other title that he, he took for himself. And God wanted it to be completely evidently clear to us that everything that Jesus did on earth, he did it as a man. He did it in humanity, divinity surrendered to divinity. Go go try and figure that out. You know, that'll confuse you for the rest of the study. But, But when you think about it, that's the answer to the question of why there was 30 years of obscurity in the life of the son of man. What was Jesus doing for 30 years? I'll tell you what he was doing. He was preparing for the three and a half years of ministry and then the few moments on the cross where he would lay down his life for humanity, okay? There was preparation. There was also testing. Why is that passage in the Bible, in the gospels about Jesus being tempted after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights? Why was that necessary? There was a tempering. There was a testing. Why? Because everyone will be tested after they've been tempered and after they've been cultivated and prepared. Why was Jesus so exhausted 
that he fell asleep in the back of the boat, so, so unconscious that not even affected by the storm that was going on. They had to shake him back to it because he was fully man in what he was doing in his work upon the earth. And so what we learn from Jesus in looking at his life and considering those things is that if you want to serve your greatness, your calling, you must sacrifice yourself. That's what Jesus did. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And everything that he did was funneling towards the Father's will of what he was to do when he was given to the world. Did you know that every single time you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else? The two things are are related. They're inseparable and vice versa. Every time you say no to something, you're saying yes to something else. Remember, remember Joseph in the Old Testament, the son of uh, Jacob, the one with the big sleeves, the one that was hated by his brothers, the one that had the dreams, the one that knew there was something inside of him and God had given him a glimpse of it, that one day he was going to do something that was significant, that would be to the saving of his family, something that would contribute to the future legacy of the nation that would be birthed from their lineage. And he sensed this calling inside of him and the greatness that was being extracted. And he began to go down that path, laser focused on what God had for him and what God was going to do with him. And there was a moment while he was being cultivated, while he was being prepared and educated and tested and learned and the things that he would ultimately become. There was a moment where he was purchased as a slave and he was elevated in that position to where he was alone in the house And the wife of his owner had longing eyes for him. And she came to Joseph and she said, hey, you know, you're a young, handsome young man. And I'm an attractive, flirtatious female. And you've had a rough go of things. How about we just, you know. And at that moment, Joseph had a choice. And Joseph said no to a temporary pleasure because he was saying yes to his future. And every time you say yes to something that will gratify you immediately, you may be saying no to the future that God has for you and vice versa. Samson, on the other hand, had another call from God. God had given him such an amazing gift and an amazing opportunity. And probably Samson would have been Samuel. When you look at the the timeline of their lives and you see when they existed and what they did, it was very similar. But Samson had an opportunity as well. There was a woman named Delilah. And when Samson said yes to Delilah, he was saying no to what God wanted to extract from his life. Without discipline, without sacrifice, you may repeat year after year and never get to where God is ultimately bringing you. It's important. That's why the Apostle Paul used this language in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. To us, he says this, Don't you know that they which run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? He says, so run that you may obtain. He says, treat your life like you're in competition, and that unless you win, you will not receive the prize. He says, everyone that strives for the mastery, everyone that wants to be great is temperate or self-controlled or disciplined. 
in all things. Now they do it, the athletes, to obtain a corruptible crown, a gold medal, a star, a badge, a trophy. But we, an incorruptible, Paul says this about himself, I therefore so run, not uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. I don't just say, hey, if God wants it to happen, it'll happen. And and just casually go through my life without any intention of pursuing what it is that he's calling me to. No, I want to know, God, what do you have for me? And I want to walk in it and live it out. And I want to do it with intention and sacrifice and take it seriously because I don't want to miss out on what could be. I don't want to end up in a future that's barren of what you intended for me when you made it. He says, but I keep, verse 27, under my body and I bring it into subjection. There is sacrifice, there is discipline, there's intention about what I say yes to and what I give myself to. Lest that by any means when I should have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He says, I take seriously that what I do and the choices that I make make a difference in the outcome of what my future will be. And everyone, everyone who lives out a calling to greatness has paid a high price in the arena of self-discipline and self-sacrifice. Another, another common theme among those that become great is service. There's a service. And this is important. And, and you kind of think, okay, well, this is marginal. Of course, we know this. You know, this, But service is huge. Because the service element of what creates greatness in someone's future or their calling or their outcome. It's the difference between success and greatness. It's the difference between fame and value. Okay. Because you can be successful, all right, but not great. That's you. That means that you maybe will be great in your lifetime or people will look at you and be jealous of you, but you're not great. You might be famous and well-known and you might mistake that for greatness. But without service, there's no real value. And the lack of service or a servant heart is usually the snag that keeps potential from becoming reality in a person. Because service is the part of this whole thing that says it's not about you and that it's not for you and that what God has placed in you is not about you and it is not for you. Towards the end of of Jesus' ministry, it was not long before he went to the cross, he was approached by three people that he knew quite well. Two of them were his apostles, his followers, two of the main ones, and one was their mother, James, John, and their mom. And they approached, and the mother was first. And she came to Jesus And it says that she even worshiped him. So she genuflected. She did some kind of uh, reverence, knowing who he was. And Jesus looked at her and he says, what is it? She says, I want you to do whatever I ask next. I want you to say yes before I I ask what I'm going to ask. And she says, you see my two sons here? Good Jewish boys, handsome boys, you know. She says, I want them to be on your right hand and on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. Essentially, she was asking for them that they would become great. I want them to occupy the greatest two possible positions, not in this world, but in the world that is to come. And Jesus, so gracious, 
I mean, how would you feel if your mom went to your boss and said, I want you, would you give him a promotion? Would you please recognize what's in him? Because he's totally being overlooked now in this whole thing. How would, I wouldn't be happy about that. If, if my mom or my wife, you know, went to my boss and, and, and said, but this is what's happening here. And Jesus is so gracious. He doesn't like draw the humor out of this whole thing. He just looks at them and he says, hey, can you guys be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? Can you drink the cup that I'm going to be drinking? And they looked at Jesus and said, yes, we're up for it. We get it. We're in. Whatever it is, we're going to do it. And then Jesus said, okay, all right, let's back up. He said, okay, you will indeed be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with, and you will indeed drink up. But listen, those two seats, the greatness that you want, those are already preordained. They will be occupied by those whom my Father has prepared them for. Those two seats are already accounted for. I don't have the authority in this moment to grant uh, an affirmative uh, answer to your request. Now, it says this as you go on in the passage. It says that when the the other 10 apostles, because there were 12, right? It says when they heard it, it says that they were indignant. They were filled with indignation because these two had the audacity to ask Jesus. Now, why were they indignant? Because they wanted those seats and they didn't think to ask. You ever have somebody get a promotion or they get a blessing, something good happens in their life that could have gone to you, but it went to them because they asked. I remember one time when we were kids, there was like, they were giving away pencils in a group, and there was like three people and three pencils. Two of them were plain yellow number twos, and one was like this really decorative, beautiful pencil. And when you're five, that's valuable to you. You're like, that's the pencil I hope I get that one. And I remember my brother, he just goes, can I have that one? And the lady goes, yep. And she gave it to him. I was like, you can't do that. You can't just... He asked, and these guys were indignant because they asked these two guys for something that they wanted. And then Jesus said, okay, teaching moment, guys, come in here. In the 12, sit down. And Jesus said, listen, in the world, he says, in the world, he says, people, the Gentiles, the rulers, the leaders, the great men, they exercise lordship over others, and they that do it are called benefactors. There's this whole system in the world of greatness and subservience. He says, but it's not going to be that way among you. And then he said this. He said, but whosoever will be great. Now pause right there for just a minute. Whosoever wants to be great. Now what that means before you even listen to what Jesus says next is that if you don't want to be great, then it doesn't matter. Okay, if you want to be average, then you can leave the conversation at this point. If you don't want to have accessed within you what is in you and then cultivated and brought to greatness, then just shut the Bible and don't worry about what Jesus says next because this doesn't apply to you. You're not involved in this conversation. But if you want to be great... If you want greatness like it came out of Paul or Abraham or David, if you want greatness to come out of your life, then listen on. He says that the greatest among you will be the servant. 
The greatest among you is going to be the one who serves. And the chiefest amongst you will be the servant of all. And then he uses himself as an example at the close of the passage. And he says, even as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. He says, that's your example. He says, that's the standard. If you want to be great, then you have got to realize it's not about you. That your life is designed to be a part of something bigger than you and beyond you. Your life is about facilitating the extraction of greatness in everybody else. And when you learn that, that's going to be the beginning of the greatness that comes out of your life. As long as it's about you, as long as it's for you, or it means to your fame or to your ends you're not going to understand what this is all about. You're looking at greatness in the complete wrong way. But when you see it for what it is, which Jesus happens to say, I'm about to show you and have been showing you for this time that I've been with you, that's when you're going to begin to understand what it's all about. It's about service, okay? Now, look at the Apostle Paul, all right? Because when you look at Paul, all right, he learned what this means, he learned it early on. Early on, Paul, it was about him. Hey, I'm the one that, that persecuted the church, and now I'm saved, and I've got a message, and you should listen to me. He was right. He wanted to join himself to the apostles. He wanted to be the one that was going to lead Israel right, right to, uh, to Jesus. It was very much for him about reputation in the beginning. But look at the difference by the time calling comes. Years have now passed, and he's a completely different person. When Barnabas went to go find him, he had to be sought out. There wasn't like available ads, like anyone need a pastor? Here I am. The world's waiting for me. Barnabas is like, where is that guy? And there he is. He's building tents. He's like, how can I help you with that? It's leaking. All right, let me come fix it. You know, he was serving and he was found now by Barnabas who has says, hey, there is something for you to do in Antioch. Are you in? And he said, I'm in. In Acts chapter 11, verse 26, when we see Paul in Antioch, it says that they, Paul and Barnabas and the others that were there, it says that they assembled themselves with the church and taught. Notice those words. It says that they assembled themselves with the church. It doesn't say that they led the church. It doesn't say that they preached to the church or that they were leaders over the church. It says that they assembled with the church. They came under the church and they taught the people the things that they themselves have learned. And you know what it says right after that? It says that the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch, meaning that when, when they invisibly, without reputation, with no motive or desire, but to serve and elevate someone else, they literally changed the face of Christianity forever. And they didn't know they were doing it. That's what service does. It affects things and it affects lives in a way that you don't even know it's happening until way after it already happened. It's service, but it's what makes you great. Okay. In Acts chapter 11, verse 30, Anita rose. Hey, we need someone to bring this offering all the way to Jerusalem. Paul goes, I'll go. I'll go. There's a need. I'm in. I want to go. Me. Choose me. Pick me, please. Suffering. Cold weather. No hotel. I want it. It's for Jesus. He's calling. I'm in. I want to go. 
In Acts chapter 13, 1, the verse that we read at the beginning of our study, we see that Saul was listed last amongst a group of prophets and teachers. He was below all of the others that were there. He was the intern. He was the new guy in town. And he took the lowest seat with no aspiration to move onward. Why? Because his ego had been dealt with. See, what Jesus is trying to teach when he says that the greatest among you will be your servant, he's not saying that you should let go of your aspiration. He's saying you should let go of your ego. It's not about you, okay? It's not about me. It's about what God wants to do with you for the sake of his kingdom and humanity. This was the beginning of Saul's greatness, is that he learned what it meant to be a servant, and he carried that with him throughout his entire ministry. Service is the avenue to greatness. Lastly, a common element in all of those that become great is that they have a sense of succession. Succession. You can write that down if you're still taking notes. See, those that become truly great realize that the story doesn't end at the end of their life. They realize that they're a part of something that's bigger and beyond what they themselves are. Abraham, the great man that we already spoke of, that the Bible holds up as a great man. Do you know that the only thing he owned in the land that he founded was a tomb? He bought a tomb. He owned nothing else in it except for the sheep that belonged to him, but no other property but the tomb. Why did he want a tomb? Because he said, I know that what I am a part of in this is something that's so much bigger than me, and I want my bones planted in this land because I understand what God is going to do in this land, and what I have done is simply a part of what is yet to come. When Joseph who literally saved the starving 70 people that were his whole nation at that time through what he did in Egypt. When he died, he said, I've got one request. I don't care who gets my money. I don't care what happens. One thing is that when you guys leave Egypt, I want you to take my bones up out of here and you don't bury me in Egypt, you bury me in Canaan. Because what Joseph realizes is that all of what my life became and the greatness that came out of me had nothing to do with me. It has something to do with what God is doing for generations to come that will ultimately manifest the coming of his son and the revelation of his word and ultimately the birth of the church and the salvation that comes through the spread of the gospel and the return of Christ when evil is put away forever and where God reigns. That's what I'm a part of. And so I don't want my bones in Egypt. I don't want to be remembered as the savior of Egypt. I want to be remembered that I played a part in what God was doing in longevity. It's succession. When Moses was told by God that you are not going into the promised land, he was mad. He was mad. Not because, not because he thought he was going to have a nice, he was 120 years old. He was using a walker. He probably couldn't see that great anymore anyways. Why was he so upset that he wasn't going to go into the promised land? It had nothing to do with the experience of what he would have there. It had everything to do with what it symbolized. No, no, that's the land of God. I brought them out of Egypt to bring them there because this is what's happening. God, this is what you're doing. And to him, it felt like disqualification. And it hurt. And what he didn't realize is that it wasn't disqualification. It was all part of the picture. 
that him not going into the promised land was actually intentional because the law can never bring you into the promised land. That's a study for another time. David spent most of his wealth and most of his energy preparing materials for a temple that he wouldn't build because he realized this isn't about me. It's about what comes. It's about what will be. It's about the priests and the lambs and the music and the offerings and the gathering of God's people and what this place represents and ultimately what will be the coming of the just one whom God has promised to me will be in my lineage and on my house. That's what this is about. It's about something so much bigger. See, when you're immature, you think it's about you. It's about, well, God, you've been waiting for humanity and here I am. And God says, no, 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 this has never had anything to do with you. This has everything to do with what I'm going to extract from you for the sake of my glory and for the furtherance of the gospel and for the benefit of humankind. And you get to be a part of it. And the greatness that is in you is a manifestation of that. You guys know that verse, John 3.16? Anybody know that verse? You ever heard of that before? John 3.16? It says that God so loved the world. Listen to the verse. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Okay? Now, I want you to think about this again in the context of the son of man. Jesus being fully human. And here's what it means. It means that God spent 30 years, Jesus spent 30 years living in humanity, surrendering his will to the will of the Father, sacrificing for the sake of fulfilling and extracting, doing what it was that he was on earth to do, to the point where ultimately he would fulfill that service in three and a half years of earthly ministry and then in the moments that he would lay down his life on the cross. And what God says about that whole encapsulation of the life of Christ is that that was his gift to the world. God so loved the world that he gave his son that whosoever would believe in him would have everlasting life. Meaning this, is that the greatness of Jesus and the greatness that came out of Jesus was God's gift to a world that desperately needed what he was going to do. And none of us are Jesus, but we are all made in the image of God. And God has placed something great inside of you. God has placed a calling inside of you. He has placed a purpose within you and inside of you. And as you surrender your life to him, it is accessed and uncovered. As you sacrifice to say, God, I know what I would want to do in this moment or with my life or in this season, but God, I want what you want over what I want. In those moments, that greatness is being cultivated in the nature of Christ and the character that God wants you to become is being formed in you. And in your service, the greatness is being realized and manifested. And what God says is that that is my gift to a world that desperately needs what I've placed in you. That's what I want to do in your life. That's what cultivation is all about. That's what surrender is all about. That's what sacrifice is all about. See, it's not religion. It's not church. It's not Bible study. It's not, I need Jesus to help me get through this day. I need a little bit of Jesus and a whole lot of coffee. And it's, no, 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 no. It's that there is something inside of you that God strategically formed 
everything that's ever happened to you in order to extract that thing. God placed you in humanity at this time because that thing is needed now. And he gives you the opportunity to say, Lord, I want everything that you have for me. I want the life that you have ordained for me to live. Not for me because it's about me, but for you and for what you'll bring out of me. And that is the will of God for his people. It starts in the moment where we first give our lives to him and just say, Jesus, I give you my life. Lord, what do you want me to do? That's what Paul said. Lord, what do you want me to do? And he never lost that mindset, never lost that attitude. We sang the song, it was the last song of the worship set, and I, and I had to check myself because, you know, before you even say the word, I'll say, what, how does it go? Before, before, you even before you even ask, my answer will be yes. And I'm going like, ugh. <laughs> Lord, can I sing that honestly? But Paul started there, and he never left. And the result of his life is that he changed the world. He gave us Romans and Corinthians and Ephesians and Galatians and his testimony in Acts. And he gave the gospel and he gave the freedom that it is in Jesus. And he explained it in a way that no one else could because of what was in him. What's in you? Father, we just thank you tonight for, for the word Thank you for the truth. Thank you for your ways. Thank you for your greatness. Thank you that everything that you make is good and great and and that nothing, nothing, nothing is too hard for you. And I know, Lord, tonight there's probably some people here that are frustrated because there's something inside of them, but they can't find it. They can't seem to access it. I pray that right now, Lord, right now in this room, your spirit would be calling that prayer out of people to say, Jesus, I give you my life. I want to live for you. I believe that right now, Lord, in this room, that there are people that are feeling disqualified. They're feeling like they missed it, that it's too late, that they said yes to too many things that translates into no for their future. Lord, I pray right now in Jesus' name that just like you went back for Moses, you would go back for them. I feel like right now, Lord, there's people in this room that have settled for something less, that have said yes to average and no to greatness. And tonight, Lord, right now, I pray in Jesus' name that you would meet with them afresh because it's never too late for you. It's never too hard for you. It's never beyond you. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would meet each one of us right where we are and give us clarity concerning the things of our path, our past, present, and future. And that, Lord, you would give us a vision and a calling and a drive towards what you want for us. Be with us, Lord. Help us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.